now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. title of this series is called Make It Personal, Make It Personal. And what I've come to realize over the course of raising children and just living, you know, 52 years of life is that things usually are not that important until they become personal. And you know this when you're raising kids and you told them to turn their lights off, not leave the door standing wide open, not stand there for five minutes in front of the refrigerator with the doors open. And they didn't understand. And you were like, hey, listen, that cost electricity. And they didn't realize it until they got older and they got married and maybe they got their first electric bill. And they go, dad, did you realize how much electricity costs? No, I'm like, no, really, do tell me. Tell me all about that. Dad, do you know how much taxes they take out of my check? No. Seriously? Do you know how much groceries are? Had no idea. Tracy knows, but I had no idea. And, and, but when something becomes personal, it becomes far more important to us, right? I mean, you didn't care about the school system much until your kids went there. And you're like, okay, what are they teaching? What are my kids' homework? What's going on in the school? What's going on in the community? You got a whole lot more interested. When I was a youth pastor for 18 years, it was amazing that when the kids stepped in for us, it was the seventh grade when they came into the student ministry. And when they came in, how many parents signed up to be volunteers? We're like, get ready, school's starting. We got an influx of new parents coming to be volunteers. Why? Because their kids were there. And they had a new interest in student ministry. You didn't care about the nursery until your grandchild was in there, right? Or your child was in there. You're like, okay, let me just check, make sure everything's good. So when things become personal, they become far more important. And today, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some personal things that I think are highly important to God that we should make a priority in our lives. Last week, we heard a fantastic message from our student pastor, Grant, right? It was so, so good, so good, about a costly commission, about being called into this great commission lifestyle, but it is going to be costly. And I didn't even realize it until um, I got into my studies this week. I'm like, man, Grant just teed me up perfectly for this series that we're going into. And so if you have your Bible today, you can open it up to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Chapter 9, we're going to start there, we're going to get into chapter 10. But this is kind of what followed behind some of the things that Grant talked about last week. He looked at Mark's account, we're going to look at Luke's account of this conversation that Jesus has with some disciples. Now he had already called his 12 disciples, but now he's starting to broaden his calling. He's starting to broaden the, the ministry. It, it's a little bit more widespread now. And so he starts to call out more people individually. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, we see this little conversation take place. He says, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, it wasn't going back to, to, you know, like his dad was on his deathbed. No, the indication here is that his dad had an inheritance that he was going to leave to him. And so this guy is basically saying, let me go back and wait till I'm financially secure and then I might reconsider and become a follower of you. Let me go and make sure that I got all that I need, make sure that all my finances are in order. I'm going to make all the money. Or I'm going to get all the money I can from my inheritance. And then I might be financially ready to make this commitment to follow you. 
And here's what I would say. When you sign up for the kingdom of God, you say goodbye to the kingdom of men. When you sign up to be a follower of Jesus, when you sign up to say, I'm in the kingdom of God, you are basically saying goodbye to the kingdom of men. That money is no longer your priority. The kingdom is. And if you can use your money to leverage in the kingdom of God, so be it. That's a great thing. But money and finances are no longer your top priority. The kingdom agenda is. Next conversation, he says, yet another, he said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go and say farewell to those in my home. And what he was basically saying, I've got some social concerns that I need to tend to. I've got some life to live. I've got some fun to be had. I don't have all the time in the world to give to this kingdom agenda. Right now, I'm more about worried about my social life. I got, my, got to make sure my finances are in order. Got to make sure my social life is where it is. And if there is any time on the margins, God, then I will become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is what so many Christians live with today, especially in the great grand old United States of America. We are so hell bent on making sure our finances are in order. And we're so bent on making sure that our social life is where it needs to be, that we look right to everybody, that we have all the fun we can have. And then if there is any room in the margin, I will give that to following Jesus Christ. And I get so tired of hearing this from Christians all the time. They say they want to do it, but then when it comes right down to it, they are not willing to make that commitment to follow him. Back in Texas, you know what they call that? Big hat, no cattle. And what that saying is, I used to hear it all the time, big hat, he's got he's big hat, no cattle. What they mean is they walk around looking like they have all of this stuff and they have all this cattle and you start to ask them and they really got nothing to show for it. We got Christians all the time saying, I want to be a devoted follower of Christ. Okay, why don't you show up to a Friday afternoon Bible study? Why don't you show up to a Sunday morning group? Why don't you get into a life group? Why don't you open up your Bible during the week? That got me an amen section going in the morning. Because that requires a level of commitment that, that is not in the plan that we have right now for our life. Because we're more concerned about all the other stuff. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a follower of me, you got to... Walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And here's what he said. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning that if you say you're signing up for this deal and you put your hand to the plow, don't start looking back. Don't start looking over your shoulder going, man, I really wish I had what I had back then. I really wish I had more money. I really wish I had more social life. And you start, what happens is the, 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 the plow rows start to go crooked. Because they're, they're not keeping the pay. They're not keeping their eyes ahead. They're not keeping their eyes on the go. When I mow my grass and I want straight lines, you know what I do? I turn the corner. I'm a little zero turn. And I look at a point all the way across the yard. I don't look at the margins here. I look all the way down there and I drive straight to that point. And it makes a straight line every time. And when we are in, signed up for kingdom work, we've got to keep our eye on the prize, what it is that Christ has laid out for us, and that keeps us on course. Because when you look back, you can become what Lot's wife became. Remember that? Look back at the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? Turned into a pillar of salt. They called her Morton. <laughs> I'm kidding. That joke went over well in the first one. I thought I'd try it again. It went over again. I like it. 
Once you sign up to follow Jesus and you answer his call, you have a permanent job in the kingdom and there's no looking back. In the kingdom of God, there are no bench warmers. In the kingdom of God, everybody is on the field. In the kingdom of God, everybody's in the game. Everybody is a participant. So when you sign up, you are in. You're in. And God is expecting you to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So my question, what stands between you and total commitment to God's kingdom agenda? Is it the social life? Is it, man, if I, if I start you know, talking this Jesus stuff, my buddies really ain't gonna listen to me anymore. I probably won't get invited to go hang out with them anymore. I won't be invited to go hunting. I won't be invited to go to the lake. I won't be invited to go play golf because all I'm, I'm about the kingdom agenda and my social life, it's gonna suffer. Or if I become a follower of Jesus, my finances are gonna change. I mean, he's gonna be expecting me to give to stuff that he's passionate about. He's gonna want me to start supporting missionaries. He's gonna want me to start supporting the church and that's gonna just mess up my agenda. So there are some things that stand between all of us and complete sellout to the kingdom agenda. I've got mine and you've got yours. We all have them to deal with. I've not yet met a person yet who doesn't have something that tugs at their heart constantly when it comes to serving God with everything and serving cares of this world and things that would tug at us. I'll give you the bottom line right here. So you have it. If you need to leave, this is what we're going to talk about today. As followers of Jesus, you need a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. For Tracy and me, this started out when we were teenagers. In our church back in Louisiana, we had a huge bus ministry. Anybody remember the 80s bus ministries that churches had? Anybody? Man, we had huge bus ministry for our size church. Church of about 100 people, man. We were busing in 30 kids a week probably or more. And Tracy and I signed up to be bus captains, right? We signed up to be bus captains. What a bus captain did, we sat on the front row of the bus and we would, like, while we're going down the road, we'd stand up, we'd get the kids singing and all that kind of stuff. You'd make sure that Billy wasn't beating up Susie and all that kind of stuff and putting her in a headlock, giving her a noogie, those kind of things. You, had to, you, watch, you watch the kids like that. But when you stopped at a house, we jumped off the bus and ran to the door, knocked on the door, made sure that such and such was ready to go, and we made sure the parents were okay, and we took them back to the bus, got them on there and kept them going until we got back to the church. We were the bus captains. That was the first ministry I remember signing up for. But eventually, Tracy and I became the, the children's ministry leaders. This is while we were dating in high school. We became the leaders of our children's ministry. So we would do all of that kind of stuff, and we taught them all those kids' songs and all those fun, fun things. Eventually, God used that to put us into full-time vocational ministry. Now, I'm not saying God's going to like use your ministry to take you to full-time vocational. That might not be it. But what I do know, that working and serving in the church is a part of God's plan for your life. Serving God through the, through the local church is a part of every single believer's life or God's plan for every single believer's life. So after he has this little conversation with these ones that say, I've got to go back and get my inheritance. I've got to go back and take care of my dad. I've got to go back and take care of my social life. Once he's done with that, he turns and he looks to another group of people and he says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them on ahead of him. So he has this conversation, he looks out and he appoints these 72 devoted followers of his that were in fact all in 
two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now listen, what was going on here, this was a very common practice in Jewish culture. Before a king would go into a village or a city, they would send in a group of heralds. And what the heralds would go in and do, and they were saying, hey, everybody get ready. The king is coming. The king is coming. Make sure your yard's clean. Make sure your house is ready. The king is coming to our village, our city. And they would prepare the city for his arrival. So what these 72 were doing, they were going into these villages ahead of Jesus where he himself was about to go. And he was basically telling those cities, those villages, these heralds were, that the Messiah is on his way and get ready. That's exactly what the church does today. We are to go into our city. We are to go into surrounding towns and villages and around the world. And our mission, our commission as a church is to let this world know that judgment is on its way, that the Messiah is going to return. And when he does, the only people who escape God's judgment and wrath are those who are in the faith, those who are Christians, those who are followers of him. And so we are all about evangelism. Here at Charity, our mission is to what? Lead people to know Christ and to grow in their relationship with him. Our primary focus as a church is evangelism so that people will come to know Christ. When we get to heaven, I mean, we do a lot of things at the church, right? We have great fellowship. I mean, we have our international banquet uh, in a couple of weeks It's going to be a great time of fellowship. This is something we're bringing back from years ago that was so good. Such good food, good fellowship. Get to meet some missionaries, some cool things like that. I hope a bunch of you will show up and sign up to bring some food. We're going to have good fellowship. Friday night was good fellowship around some cookie dough. Who doesn't like good cookie dough, right? And some pretzels. And so I'm acting like a woman the whole time. I'm identifying. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. I didn't, I can't believe I went there. Didn't do that. Um, But I was eating some cookie dough, hanging on to my granddaughter. That's what I was doing. And so there's some good fellowship there. You know, another good thing that we do as a church, when we show up here and have this great worship team lead us, we raise our hands in worship. We pour our hearts out. You know what? We're going to do both of those things for eternity in heaven. You're going to fellowship with people you never thought you would fellowship with. You're going to bow down in worship. You're going to stand in worship. You're going to worship your king forever and ever and ever. But do you know what we will not do in heaven? evangelism. There will be no more need for it. So the only thing that we can do on earth that we've been commissioned to do as a church that we cannot do in heaven is evangelism. Sharing the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He went to the grave and he rose again. That is the gospel. And that's the only thing we can't do in heaven that God has commissioned us here to do on earth. And so we are sending them out two by two. You need a partner in ministry. Two are better than one, the Ecclesiastes writer says to us. We need somebody to go alongside us. We need the encouragement of the church. He sends them out to every town and place where he himself was about to go. So when it comes to personal ministry, it's one of those life catalysts that we all need. Our life catalyst when we were in high school, it catapulted us into ministry. And so I'm saying every single person who is a part of a local body of Christ, every single follower of Jesus needs a ministry in the local church. 
in order to participate in God's kingdom agenda. And I got five things that will lead to a fruitful ministry. Number one, you need compassion. You have got to have compassion. Compassion is fundamental to everything church-related. You've got to have compassion for people. Here's what Jesus said in verse two. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus often, when we read through scripture, it's amazing if you read through the gospels, you'll see many times that Jesus was moved with compassion. Meaning that he would look at people and he would see their desperate need, whether it was from physical healing, whether it was a a physical need like a food or whatever it might have been. He would see a physical need, an emotional need, and it moved him with compassion to the point that he did something about it. He would meet a physical, emotional, physical need in some way in order to meet a spiritual need that they had. But he was moved with compassion. I think maybe the first, one of the first places that this, this phrase was used was when he had dealt with the Samaritan woman and she had gone into the village to tell them about this man who knew all these things about her, told her all, told him, told her all these things about her and she wanted other people to come and meet him also. So she goes out there and this crowd's on its way, this crowd of Samaritans from this local village and at this point is where Jesus tells his disciples, behold, the fields are white unto harvest. Because it's believed that the Samaritans, because of the heat of the area where they live, they wore white hoods over their head just so that they would be shielded from the sun. So he would look at it and say, look, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into the harvest. So Jesus was often moved with compassion, often moved. He was moved to, to, to minister to the one in front of him because he had compassion for people. And you and I need to have compassion for people. Personal ministry is often birthed out of a compassionate heart. Personal ministry is often birthed out of a compassionate heart. You got involved in kids' ministry because why? You had a compassionate heart toward children and them knowing the stories of the Bible and knowing that God loved them and wanted to have a relationship with them. You get involved in student ministry, why? Because you have a compassionate heart. I got into student ministry because of a 16-year-old brother of mine who committed suicide. My heart became compassionate towards student ministry. And I did it for 18 years out of that tragedy that happened in our family's life. So we've got to be moved with compassion. That's what stirs us up to ministry. And if you have no compassion for ministry, you need to go examine your heart and ask God, hey, am I even a follower of yours? Why don't I have compassion for people? We're doing a study in our small group. And a phrase that was left with us at the end of our small group study was this, Jesus, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to just see people the way you see people. Give me eyes for the one right in front of me. And help me to see them the way you see them. Let me me see them for who they are and why you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for them. And how can I have a compassionate heart toward him? Because the the need is great. And that's what he said. The fields, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
There's a website called the Joshua Project. I would just encourage you to go browse around and just look at the places in the world that need the gospel message. Do you realize that 42% of the people groups in the world are considered unreached, meaning they have no readily accessibility to the gospel message? Meaning that less than five, sometimes less than 3% of that people group have any knowledge whatsoever of a gospel message. 42% of the people in our world, that comes to 3.37 billion people need the gospel. That That should stir our hearts. That should cause us to be compassionate about people who are in the horn of Africa, who will not and do not have access to the gospel people that, that, that we as a church are trying desperately to, to, to pioneer into through J-Life ministry in Africa. This year, we're going to be sharing with you some of the needs over there. But if you look at the, the country of Somalia, you and I cannot go there. If we go there, we would die within a week because we're sharing the gospel message. But there are some men and women right now on the ground in Somalia and in Djibouti that are willing to put their lives on the line to share the gospel. And you know what they need from us? They need prayer and they need financial support. We'll be telling you more about that later. But if you take it from a global perspective and bring, just bring it down locally. I did a study a few weeks, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, where I just looked at every single gospel preaching, what I would deem a gospel preaching church in Cabarrus and Rowan counties within a reasonable driving distance of our church. And if you filled them to capacity every single Sunday morning, there would still be approximately 300,000 people within a reasonable driving distance of this church who are sitting at home and not a part of the body of Christ, whether they're unchurched, unsaved, or just abandoned, the church. There is a great need that we and I, you and I need to step into. So compassion is first. Number two, we need prayer. Prayer is essential. This will never be effective without prayer, without people getting on their faces before God. This is where revival starts, right? It's praying God, here's what he said. Pray earnestly. Jesus said this, pray earnestly. Plead to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. You know, it's hard to get up and, or it would be hard to get on your knees and go, Lord, I know that there is a great need and I just pray that you will send somebody. And God says, you are somebody. No, I pray that you would send somebody else. I pray that you will just stir it up in somebody's heart. I'm stirring it in your heart. No, 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 stir it in someone else's heart. Because right now I've got financial concerns. Right now I've got social concerns. But I'm going to pray for somebody else to go. No, what Jesus is saying, if you're going to pray earnestly, you better be willing to be the the yes to that. You better be willing to be the one to go. You better be the one willing to give to those needs. So he says, I just pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And the more you go, the more you realize the need for more. The more you're in it, the more you understand the need for more people to be involved in it. Number three, urgency. Urgency is necessary. We've got to have an urgency about this. Listen, we do not know when the Lord is going to come back, 
We do not know when that person that we need to reach with the gospel message will take their last breath. There is an urgent need for the harvest to be gathered. And here's how Jesus said it. He said, I want you to go your way. Or in other words, he's saying, okay, enough. Now be on your way. Go, 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 go. Get up off the bench. Get up out of the pew. Go and do it. Go. Just get out of here and be on your way about ministry. So once a person becomes a follower of Jesus, we don't believe that it's required that they go through an eight-week course before they're ready to share their faith. No, that's an immediate commission that you have, which is one of the reasons we do baptismal videos for adults and students. We do that because when you hear their stories, you're hearing what their life was like before they came to relationship with Christ, the loneliness, the pain, the emptiness, the heartache, the desire that they had for something more. And then all of a sudden they heard that Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life and died in their place, paid the penalty for their sin. And then he rose again on the third day and then they step into faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, something changed. A new birth occurs, as Jesus talked about with Nicodemus. And then their life after that has become purposeful. That God filled a void they were trying to find in everything else in the world. And that's their story of faith. That's their journey of faith. And God wants to use your story to tell his story. And the greatest thing about your story is you've got it memorized. You can tell your story at the drop of a hat about what your life was like before Christ, when you came to Christ, and what your life has been like after Christ. That's the model that that, uh, Paul used in the book of Acts. And that's what we call new believers to do that. That's why we shoot videos. And that's why we want them to tell your story as fast as possible because there is no waiting. Go on your way. Be on your way. Be about the business of building the kingdom of God. And the next one here is vigilance. You've got to be vigilant. Vigilance is required because, listen, it's going to be messy at times. There are times when, when others are not going to celebrate your newfound desire to serve God's kingdom agenda. There are going to be people that are going to be just, they'll be downers on you. They'll, they'll, they'll put you down. Oh, man, you'll be down on yourself. You've got to be vigilant in this. Here's what Jesus said. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's not summer camp. You ever go to summer camp and everybody's on fire? Everybody supports every decision you make. You pray, you cry a little bit, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you meant And it's just the greatest moment in the world, the greatest week of the year. We have a baptism. Everybody's shouting, hollering, just so excited. Then you go tell somebody else about it at school, and they're like, so? And you're like, aren't you excited? And you come back after camp, and you go, man, other people aren't like that. Because we're, we're lambs in the midst of wolves. There are people coming after us. It's like the show that I watched the other night on the Smithsonian Channel, the show about Yosemite National Park. This little duck minding its own business. Little mallard, pretty little mallard, just swimming, doing what ducks do, reaching down and eating every once in a while, right down the middle of the river, perfectly safe right in the middle, in the center of God's will. But all of a sudden, that little duck started looking around. Had his hand to the plow, but he started looking around. And you know what happened? He started drifting. 
He drifted over to the side and he got too close to the side. And guess what got him? That bobcat came over the edge of that snowbank and jumped into that water and grabbed that thing right by the neck and came pouncing up out of the water and marching up the mountain with this beautiful mallard duck in his mouth. I thought, that's what that looks like right there. That's what that looks like. Listen, if you, if you stray, another, another illustration was that there was a bunch of bison in that park too. And one of them, hadn't been eaten the way that he was used to, couldn't get enough fuel, hadn't been opening up the word of God every day, hadn't been praying the way that he should. And eventually he, he drifted away from the rest of the herd, kind of like y'all sitting at home right now. You know what I'm talking about? You. So you just get away from the herd, you're not fueling yourself the way you need to, and all of a sudden, a pack of wolves got around this one lonely bison. They didn't show the kill, but they showed the carcass. And all those little scavengers were just eating on. There's crows coming down. There's buzzards coming down. There's a little fox come over there, got his little bite. They were all eating on that little carcass. And listen, you and I are going out as lambs in the midst of wolves, and Satan wants to destroy you. He, he, will, he will attack you. He will discourage you if you are not staying vigilant. Vigilantly opening up the word of God, staying plugged into the body of Christ. Two by two going, being involved in a small group. There are some important things that will help you remain vigilant when those wolves come attacking because they will. And the final thing is this, you gotta have trust. Trust is your lifeline. Trust is your lifeline to a successful, fruitful ministry in the church. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I want you to carry no money bag, no knapsack. I don't even want you to take, basically what he's saying, don't take an extra pair of sandals. You got the sandals on your feet, but don't take any extras. And I want you to greet no one along the road. What he was saying is, I want you to just trust God for everything. It's, it's spiritual boot camp. Well, no, I got I to gotta, I gotta know some scripture. No, you don't. You just got to know your story. Go. All you got to do is know your story. Oh, what am I going to do when I don't know what to say? Trust me. I'll tell you what to say. What am I going to do if I don't have enough provision? Trust me. I will give you provision. When Tracy and I first started out in ministry, we didn't have anything, okay, except a car payment. That was it. And we lived in the parsonage across the street from the church. The worst place for a minister to live is in a parsonage on the church grounds. Nine o'clock at night. I left my purse in there. Can I go get it? Are you kidding me? The kid's asleep. But, but you trust God for everything. We didn't have money at all. We were poor. We were broke. People show up and give us money for groceries or they bring us some groceries. People put gas in our car. He would buy our kids clothes. Like, God, this is what trust looks like. And we're just doing, we're just being obedient. Little old church up in Kansas, right in the middle of Kansas, God forsaken area, it seemed like. But it was, but God was working in our lives in the midst of some great needs that we had. Eventually, we became provision for other people. God used, uh, uses us to help other people out. But you've got to learn to trust him. You've got to learn to trust him with those needs. 
They're not all going to be laid out there for you. We've got to trust him. If Satan can destroy you, or if Satan can't destroy you, he will try to distract you. And I think that's what Jesus is saying right here. Greet no one along the road. Because there are going to be people that will try to distract you from the mission. They'll try to discourage you or distract you. You'll get distracted. You'll put your hand to the plow, and you'll remember what the social life was like before you started acting like you loved Jesus. You'll remember what your financial uncertainty was like before you became a devoted follower of Jesus and started just giving money away to the needs that God is passionate about. You'll go bury the dead. You'll go take care of the money, those things. You'll go have your social life. And he's saying, listen, Satan may not destroy you through a drug addiction, through an extramarital affair or anything crazy like that. But if he's got you distracted, he's doing just as much. He's doing just as much. Put your hand to the plow, keep your head ahead. Keep your head facing forward. If you want to get involved in ministry, I got a few ideas for you. Here's some things in our church, and there are lots more. But where can you have a ministry in the church? You can have a ministry in kids' ministry. We have a need for that. We, have, we need people who are compassionate about sharing the stories of the Bible with children so that they will know that God loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. We need people to do that. We need people who are compassionate about students who are in a very difficult stage of life. And they need somebody putting wind in their sails after they come off of a weekend like they had last weekend and cheering them on. We need people to help in the nursery. We need people to help in the nursery. We also need people to help in the nursery. <laughs> I worked again also, that's amazing. Um, worship ministries. Ain't it great seeing all the new faces that you see up here? And we got more that are just signed up to help lead us in worship every single week. There's a security team that needs some, some volunteers. There's groups ministry. You can be a groups facilitator. You can host people. Food ministry. Right now, we need somebody who can be a translator for the Hispanic population that shows up, especially on Tuesday morning. We could use some help with that. Production. Foster care ministry. This is something we're getting ready to start. We're still doing our research and trying to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. But right now in Cabarrus County, there are anywhere from 250 to 450 kids right now who would be considered displaced and homeless that need a house, need a home that will welcome them in. And wouldn't it be great if there was a Christian home that was welcoming them in? There are people right now who have welcomed them in and they just don't have the means to meet the needs because the finances aren't there because the state doesn't help them with that. You're just saying, hey, I'll help a kid, but I don't have the means to do it. I'm just going to trust God's provision for it. As a church, we're getting ready to start partnering with some local foster families, and we're going to help meet some of those physical needs that they have. So if you're interested in that, I got a lady, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, Sandra Campbell, she is on fire. She's lit up about this, and we're getting ready to launch this. We got our Charity Cares Ministry it goes on on a regular basis, like the Jeff Gordon Children's Hospital, some other projects that we have, some things that we're going to be doing in the state. You can see Chris Campbell about that. There's so many other things, but there are plenty of places for you to get involved in the local church. And if you want to know more, just go to charity.church forward slash next steps or scan that QR code right there in front of you. Websites right at the top of that list. Click on that and find the next, next steps in there. But there's a place for you to serve locally. But then we also ought to have a mission in the world. And how can you do that? You can pray. 
Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers, send out laborers into those fields that are white unto harvest. You may not be able to go to Djibouti. You may not be able to go to Somalia. You may not be able to go to Tanzania or Nicaragua or some of the other places that we support, but you can certainly pray for people who are and pray that more will go. You could also go if you'd like to go with us on one of our mission trips. You see Sean, he'll, he'll get you signed up. Maybe God's calling you to go do a little bit longer than a short term. Maybe you're kind of in a gap year between high school and college, and you're like, hey, I think I want to go. I can hook you up with J-Life, and you can go serve with them for a year somewhere, six months, six weeks. Maybe that's a place for you to, to go. But giving, we can all participate here. Listen, here at Charity, we do a thing called Faith Promise Mission Giving. And in the past year, we gave about $72,000 specifically over and above our tithes and offerings to missions. We call it Faith Promise. You'll be hearing more about it in two weeks. But this year, our goal is $100,000. Over and above our normal budget, $100,000. And I just believe God can do it because the harvest is great. And if we can't go, we can certainly pray and we can certainly give to help with that. We can support, we're gonna, we're gonna try to support those local men and women right there in Somalia and Djibouti who are in the darkest places on the planet when it comes to the gospel. We as a church can give them, how much is it, Sean? How much? 15,000? $15,000 to help them. And so we're gonna be just urging you to just pledge toward that so you can do these things and you can be involved in a mission in the world as you're also involved in a ministry in the church. So bottom line, as followers of Jesus, you need a ministry in the church and you need a mission in the world. What's it gonna be? When's it gonna be? Jesus is saying now. And he's probably also laying it on your heart, where? So let's all stand together and just pray that we'll be obedient, right? Father, we love you and we're thankful that you have even given us an opportunity to play on your team, to be a part of what you're doing. So my prayer today is that we would, number one, say yes to anything, and that number two, you would direct our hearts to exactly where you want us to be. Help us to be obedient. And God, we know that obedience is a catalyst to the revival that we're begging for. So use us in Christ's name.